You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might be become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. With my flesh I serve the law of sin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we require your grace this morning. Should we understand and apply these uh, verses, Father, we ask that you would be pleased to teach us and to lead us. uh, And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Uh, For the sake of context this morning, um, uh, that we could follow... Paul's argument, if you go back to chapter 5 and verse 20, which we've done many, many times, it's, a, it's really pivotal, 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 there it is, pivotal. It's very pivotal um, in terms of understanding Paul's argument all, all the way through chapter 6 and chapter 7, where he says, when the law, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And, of course, he uh, raises an objection and undoubtedly he's heard many times in his preaching of the gospel. Verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He answers, by no means. And then he begins to to flesh out uh, his argument really under three heads, which we've looked at. Uh, He begins with baptism. He uses an illustration of baptism uh, in largely in verses 3 Uh, We could say uh, through verse 14, we could say loosely through verse 14. And then he gives the the, um, illustration of slavery beginning in verse 15 to the end of chapter 6. And then not so long ago, we saw that he uses a third illustration from marriage in chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And that really concludes uh, his arguing uh, uh, this the, the point is uh, arguing for this uh, objection. Now, last week we saw when we got to Romans chapter seven, verse seven. Uh, there, Paul begins to mount a defense uh, for the law itself. 
If you look at verse 7 of chapter 7, he says, what, shall, what then shall we say? That the law is sin. Now, why would Paul say that? Well, last week we spent some time uh, covering that. Paul has made a lot of statements about the law, hasn't he? That could give you the impression that, you know, Paul doesn't like the law. He hates the law. The law is bad. And in Romans 7, 7 through Romans 7, 12, Paul mounts his defense for the law, concluding in verse 12 that the law is not the law is not sin. The law is not bad. He says in verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. That was his argument last week. That's that's what we looked at last week. And then that brings us to our text this morning. Paul then asks, did that which is good then bring death to me? And really, if we're if we're reading this closely and we're studying this carefully, we're ready for that question. Uh, why are we ready for that question? We'll just back up. Let's just go backwards. By the way, sometimes you see things if you go backwards, you know. Um, I'm one of those readers that, like, when I get a magazine, I go to the back of it. Does anybody else do that? I always go to the back of it and I go forward. I don't know why. But I always go backwards and go forward. I don't know. Maybe that says a lot about me. I don't know. I'll leave you to decide that. But um, going back, I'm going to take you backwards for a moment, and I think you'll you'll see something that maybe you don't see if you... If you go forward, if we just reverse our steps here, did that which is good then bring death to me? Uh, Okay, uh, what's Paul saying? Uh, Or why is Paul asking that? Well, it needs to be asked. Because in verse 7, he said that sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Okay, the law was used uh, to kill me. We usually don't attribute things that kill us as good, do we? Uh, Or did the law kill us? Yeah, let's back up some more. Let's go back to verse 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death. That's what it says, isn't it? We back up to verse 9. I once was alive before the law came. But when the commandment came, Sin came alive and I died. Okay, back up to verse 8. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of stuff. The end of verse 8. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. So, I think that prepares us for the question in verse 13, doesn't it? It's a very logical question to ask. Did that which is good then bring death to me? Well, notice how he answers. There's that by no means again. You notice that keeps coming up. Keeps coming up, doesn't it? That's an, you know, it's emphatic. No, Uh, by no means. God forbid, perish the thought. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. Okay, we've been over that. You know, the, the, the statement that's made there. We've been we've been over that a couple of times. And, of course, the commandment uh, reveals uh, sin to us, doesn't it? That's pretty much what Paul's saying there. I wouldn't have known what covetousness was if, it, if God had said, you shall not covet. And I spent a little time on that last week. You know, it's interesting that Paul picks on the 10th commandment. You know, I, I, it's very interesting that he does that. Uh, because the 10th commandment points to an inward problem, doesn't it? You know, how do you externally covet something? Um, 
I mean, we can we can behave externally in ways that are motivated by covetousness for sure, and we do. But in terms of coveting, that's a heart matter, isn't it? That goes on inside. And of course, this causes the whole thing to go toppling down. We'll talk a little bit more about that this morning. But I want to point out to you the very last part of this. The very last part, for sake of context, let me read all of verse 13. Uh, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And listen to this last part. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now, what's going on here? Well, let me give you an illustration, a real life illustration. We're all young children. We have a really nice paved street right in front of our house. Really nice pavement, you know. And when you're pedaling bicycles, I mean, it's really it's really fun to pedal on pavement versus pedaling grass. And you know, you can. You, it's easier to pedal on the pavement, isn't it? I, mean, I remember uh, we got a dangerous road. We had a dangerous road in front of our house when we were kids. We weren't allowed to have our bikes on it for good reason. There's all these careless drivers. You know, sometimes we wondered how they even made it around the turn. Uh, we thought they were going to come into our house. There's guardrails right there in front of our home. And my grandfather had, had some cars in his house because it's so dangerous to come down around there. Now, your children, you don't understand all this. Your parents, they bring the commandment to you and they say, listen, I don't want you pedaling your bike on the road. Now, that's a good thing, isn't it? That's a good thing. That's a loving thing. It'd be unlovely, very unloving for parents to say, eh, don't worry about it, Junior. Do whatever you want. You know, I don't care. Go ahead, Junior. That's like saying, go play in traffic. I don't care, you know. That's unloving. But to say, don't pedal your bicycle on the road. I don't want you on the road with that bike. Now, this is what sin does with a loving commandment like that. It says, I want to ride my bike on the road. Sin gets a hold of what is good and it shows how rotten it is because it rebels against what is good and what is loving and it says, you know what? As soon as she isn't looking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pedal my bike on that road as soon as they're not looking. Right? Now what does that reveal about the nature of sin? It's hideous. It's absolutely hideous. As I've been thinking about how to approach verses 14 and onward, and believe me, I've been thinking a lot of ways about how to approach this. Um, I, for better or for worse, have arrived at a strategy that I want to use. And what I really want to do for the rest of the message this morning is kind of give a verse by verse little commentary, just kind of read the verses, read the phrases, give some commentary on them. Um, and I'm, I'm announcing that now because we might get lost in what my point is if I don't express it now. And then I, I just want to get the, 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 the ball of my point, if you will, bouncing and periodically keep it bouncing so that the structure of the point that I want to make this morning will guide us as we go through all of these verses. The point that I want to make is that sin no longer reigns. It is no longer Lord of the life of the Christian. It's no longer king in the heart of the Christian, but listen very carefully to the but, but it is still present. That's the point I want to make this morning. Sin is no longer king, but it is still present. I think that thought right there will lead and guide us 
very nicely through this material that otherwise can be quite difficult. After all, there's a lot of do's in here, isn't there? I do, I don't do, what I do do, I don't want to do, if I do do it, I prove that I don't want to do it. It's easy to get lost in all them do's, isn't it? And all these double negatives and um, all of these things. So with that overarching theme there, sin no longer reigns, but it is still present in the heart and the life of the Christian, okay? It no longer reigns, but it is still present. Now, I think that the most controversial passage in Romans is probably Romans 9. And um, uh, I have some thoughts about Romans 9. We're, not, probably, we're probably about five messages away from there, I'm guessing, maybe more. Um, but Romans 9 is a very controversial passage. But I think in second place, Romans 7 verses 14 to the end of the chapter is probably second place in terms of controversy. Uh, there are a lot of different perspectives on these verses, and uh, I'll point out to you why as we go along. Let's look at verse 14. Paul says, for we know that the law is spiritual. We know that the law is spiritual. What is Paul saying there? Well, you, you, you hear about the law being talked about the letter of the law. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians, in the, in the um, readings, Paul talked about the old covenant as according to the letter and the new covenant that's according to the spirit. You have the letter and you have the spirit, you know, and Paul is saying, listen, the law is spiritual. Uh, you know, the commandment tells us thou, thou shall not murder. And we hear a commandment like that and we think, well, I'm good. I'm, I'm good to go in this one. I've never murdered anyone. But then Jesus brings out the spiritual part of it, you know, in Matthew five. And he says, listen, uh, you know, have you, have you ever been so angry at someone that, you know, you called them a fool? We've called them worse than that, haven't we? Well, if we've done that, then we've committed murder in our hearts. So there's a spiritual side of this, you know. And every one of us have done that, haven't we? You know, the hideous thing about it is we've done it towards people that we love. We've actually committed spiritual murder towards people that we love. Uh, that's the hideousness of sin. And Paul says, we know that the law is spiritual. But then he says this, I am of the flesh. And people will go, what? Paul, you can't possibly be of the flesh. You're the apostle Paul. And after this point, the subject of who the I is becomes almost paramount. Who is this I? Who is Paul talking about? Is he speaking about himself he can't be speaking about himself as a mature apostle, as someone who's mature in the faith. He must, be, he must be speaking about somebody else. Maybe he's personifying an unbeliever here, some will say. Or maybe he's speaking about himself before his conversion. Because how can the apostle Paul say, I am of the flesh? He must be speaking as an unbeliever, right? Mm, good, I see some heads going, mm, that's great. I'm glad that there's heads going like this because the first thing we want to do is go like this, don't we? And we want to bobble like, you know, like the little bobble heads on the dash of the car, you know? No, stop that. Go this way, <laughs> left to right. Um, let me show you exegetically why we don't necessarily have to take that position. Keep your hand in Romans and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just, I won't take a lot of time with this, but I think this is really helpful. 
This phrase of the flesh, does this mean an unbeliever is in view? I'm going to say, hold on, not so fast. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, but I what? Brothers, okay? And this would include sisters, okay? Could not address you as spiritual people, but as what? Of the flesh. Is he talking about unbelievers? No, because what's he saying next after of the flesh? He says, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still what? There's that phrase again, of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not what? Of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. Now, who are these folks Paul's speaking to? Take a look back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2. Who is Paul addressing? He's addressing those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, isn't he? And he's referring to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, the brothers, if you will, in the church of Corinth, as of the flesh. As of the flesh. See where I'm coming from here? So we don't necessarily have to. uh, There's a there's an example in Paul's writings where he's using the phrase of the flesh and it's not being used of those who are unbelievers. Um, Notice if we go back to Romans chapter seven and verse 14, Paul says, I am of the flesh. And then he says, sold under sin, sold under sin. Now, someone says, listen, that's the clincher. How could the Apostle Paul, as a mature believer in Christ, be sold under sin? Well, it's the flesh that is sold under sin. When we become believers, we are a new creation, right? Is any of us a perfectly new creation? No, no, no. No, when we become Christians, we become a new creation, but not a perfect one. We're removed from the dominion of sin. See, We're removed from the kingship of sin, if you will. But we're not removed from the presence of sin. See, that's that ball I want to keep balancing, you see. Okay, sin doesn't, Lord over us the way it once did. Now, if you hang out with me a lot, it shames me to say this. Tammy would back this up. And I can even say Maggie could probably back this up too because we work in the office together. We spend a lot of time together in the office. Um, I'm not perfect. And that is no, listen, that is no surprise to Maggie. And I'm not trying to put her on the spot or anything, but and, and I'm not trying to make light of it either. It's something that I'm ashamed of. I'm a new, I'm a new creation in Christ, but I'm not a perfect one. But let me say this: if you would have met me 20 years ago or better, you would have seen an altogether different person. You really would have. You really would have. Because then. Sin was reigning in my life. 
It was raining. The lordship of it has been broken by Christ. I can't participate in the things I used to participate in any longer. I mean, I actually can. I could physically do it, but I won't. And if I even did, I mean, it would be no time before I would have a terrible time afterwards. Can some of you relate with what I'm talking about? I'm a new creation, but I'm not a perfect one. And that's, it's important for us to keep that in mind here. Paul is speaking here as a believer, and he's expressing his own personal struggle with sin. And a lot of people can't deal with that. How can the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, be struggling with sin and refer to himself as of the flesh, sold under sin? There's a lot of people that just can't deal with that. So was Paul perfect? Come on. No. Everyone I know who is a mature believer in Christ says the same thing about this issue. I have discovered that I am more sinful than I ever realized. That's always the testimony of a mature believer. And a mature believer doesn't think they're a mature believer, by the way. It's like someone, you know, I'm humble. I'm very humble. I'm so very, very humble. That doesn't work, does it? That's a proud statement. How does a humble person make a proud statement? If you think you're mature, you're not. The very thought that you think you're mature disqualifies you. You're not mature if you think you're mature. It is a mark of youthfulness that thinks we're older than we are. That is a mark of youthfulness. It's not a mark of maturity. Paul, undoubtedly, and it's been the testimony of every saint and every generation, the closer you get to Christ, the more you see your sinfulness. And Paul here is writing as a believer and he's expressing his own personal struggle with sin. And when we come into the Christian life, we bring baggage in with us from the old life, don't we? I know I've brought a lot of baggage in to my Christian life from the old life. I've got all these bags, you know. You have to have dollies, there's so many of them. And um, God, God is so loving. He's a loving Father. Does He reveal all of our sin at once to us? I mean, does God just all at once reveal every sin that you... Does He reveal all your vices? Does He just lay it bare before, before us all, all at once? Could you imagine if He did that, what that would do to us? It's usually one or two things or three things that primarily get our attention. God gets our attention through these one or two things or three things, and we can't bear it until we come to Jesus then He allows us to heal. He comes alongside of us and He heal. He allows us to get some healing. and He strengthens us in our faith and He allows us to get some healing. And we go along thinking life is great, but then, well, then He reveals something else to us and it's almost always through struggles, isn't it? If you find someone who's mature in the faith, you've also found someone who has struggled. They've gone through some deep valleys. They've gone through painful things. And they've discovered God was with them through them all. 
And they've cried out, Oh Lord, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. They've failed in those valleys. And they've stood back and looked and they've said, I can't believe that I failed like this. God, you're not with me now. And in time, God proved that he had never stepped from the left or the right, but he had walked with them through every step. And they cry out in a new way that they could have never cried out before. How could you have been with me through that after what I did to you? And the love, the love increases for God. And as that love increases, so does the maturity level. I'm just, having just been through that, I'm just not the same now as I was before I went through it. That's how that works. So, some of our vices are taken away. I'm thankful that when, um, upon my conversion, there were a few vices that God took away. I'm thankful for that, but guess what? He didn't take them all away. And I still struggle with those things, and I suspect that I am in the same company uh, that you struggle with those things too. Now, um, when, we, um, when we struggle with these things and when we fall prey to these things, we are acting and behaving of the flesh. Acting and behaving the way that we did in the old realm when we were sold under sin. Does that make sense? We're just behaving like like we used to. That's what we're doing because we've carried this baggage into the life, you know? And we're acting and behaving as one who is sold in her sin. And I think when we understand it this way, I think it, this is why I want to do a running commentary this morning because verse 15 makes perfect sense. Look at verse 15. Paul says, I don't understand my own actions. Have you ever said that? I don't get why I just did what I just did. I don't get that. But I did it. I don't understand my own actions. Look what he says later. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want. This is evidence that Paul's speaking as a believer, by the way. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. What is it that he hates? He hates sinning against God. That's evidence that he's speaking as a believer here. Um, verse 16, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Again, Paul, I think this is further proof of the, the fact that Paul is in a regenerate state uh, by virtue of the fact that he hates that which is contrary uh, to the law that he loves. I mean, that's, that's not an attribute of someone who doesn't believe. It's an attribute of a true believer. I mean, as unbelievers, we have scruples. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me here. I don't want to say that, okay, um, you know, unbelievers act like complete, total heathens. I know some really fine people if I want to measure them by, by human standards. I know some really fine people that have not bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. And they, they're trustworthy people and they're kind people and, um, you know, they're the kind of people you'd like to be. Um, but as unbelievers, we set up our own standard. We set up our own standard in our hearts and we live by that standard. We don't want God setting that standard up for us. 
Because if we did want God sending that standard up for us, then we'd become believers, wouldn't we? We don't want God interfering that way. But here Paul desperately wants to walk in obedience to the law. He is embracing uh, God's standard. But he's not able to perfectly carry it out. So verse 17. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And you'll notice he says the same thing pretty much in verse 20. If you skip down to verse 20. Now if I do what I do not uh, want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Oh, people have had a field day with this verse. Hey, listen, you know, it wasn't me that it, it was uh, sin. A uh, close cousin of that confession would be the devil made me do it. You know, hey, it wasn't me, you know, it was uh, sin. Uh, by the way, I don't have to confess things anymore because when I slip up, uh, it's sin doing it. You know, could that possibly be what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, hey, you know, um, I'm a new man now, and uh, whenever I slip up, it's no longer me who's doing it. It's, uh, it's sin that dwells within me. So, uh, so that's how that works. Is that what Paul means? I mean, I don't think we need any commentary on this. I don't think we really need any proof on that. You know, um, none of us get out of anything doing that. I mean, try that with your, you know, as youngsters. Could you imagine trying that with your parents? Where would that have got you? Where would that have got you with your teachers in school? Where would that have got you with the principal? Yeah, it wasn't me, but it's, you know, it's uh, sin that dwells in me. What? It doesn't fly. And besides that, look what Paul says back in, down in 20, verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Fully embracing that he is culpable of the things that he has done. You see. So then what does verse 17 mean? Uh, what does it mean? Um, well, what he means here, let, let's remember the context. The context is so very important here. What has Paul been teaching? He's taught that we, that when we became believers, we died with Christ, right? He has taught that when we became believers, we were, we were born into this world, married to Adam, in union with Adam, walking as Adam walks, right? But when we become believers, that marriage is nullified and we are now wedded to Christ, okay? And we're now walking in newness of life, Correct? Now, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, okay, I'm a new creation. I'm reborn. I'm no longer Saul of Tarsus. I'm now the Apostle Paul. That's my new identity. And I will not, and this is so very important, preach this to yourself all the time. I will no longer identify myself as that old person. Because how we identify ourselves has a tendency to be how we behave. And quite frankly, this isn't just the power of like saying stuff and stuff become reality. That's nonsense. That's not what I'm saying. You'll hear a lot of that kind of stuff today. We'll just claim it and it'll be. No, this is really truly reality. The true reality is if you're in Christ Jesus, you are not that old person anymore. That old person died. Take a leaf out of the book of baptism. You know, baptism is just shorthand for the entire process that's taken place. When you put your faith in Christ Jesus, you were crucified with him. That old person died. That death took place. And then when Jesus rose, you rose with him. You are a new you. So don't identify yourself as the old you. 
Because that's not even who you are anymore. You're not a child of Adam no more. You're a child of God. And that's what's going on here in verses 17 and verse 17. Paul is saying, when he says, now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, Paul is simply refusing to identify as Saul of Tarsus. Because Saul of Tarsus died upon his conversion. It died in Damascus. Saul of Tarsus died in Damascus when those scales fell off his eyes, when the Holy Spirit rejuvenated his heart and regenerated his heart. He became a new person. He became a new creation. And that is the new name. That is his new name. And the same thing has happened to every one of us if we're in Christ Jesus. We have a new name. Don't identify yourself with that old name. Don't identify yourself with it. Because you'll you'll further embrace uh, sin if you do that. Uh, This has to be preached to ourselves all the time. We need to preach this all the time. Isn't it interesting that Paul gives it to us twice in this passage? When When the biblical author repeats himself, it's not because he has a babbling issue. It's because he's emphasizing something. He says in verse 17, Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells with me. Don't identify yourself with the old person if you're in Christ Jesus. Don't do that. Just don't do it. You're a new creation. So don't do it. Okay? I I am trying to be a little comical, but I'm trying to... I'm trying to bring a really serious point here in the, in, the, in the easiest way I know how. When you leave that door within an hour, you're going to be doing it again. That's what we do. we got to constantly preach to ourselves, I'm not that person no more. That's not who I am. Because if we keep thinking like we are that person, guess what? We're going to behave like that person. Right? Verse 18. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Um, there's an important confession there. Left to ourselves, there's nothing good that dwells in us. And by this, I don't mean to say that there are no good qualities. There are good qualities that, you know, God's common grace. Um, there's lots of good qualities in people because of God's common grace. We meet people all the time who are not Christians, and there's lots of good qualities about them, and that's because of God's common grace. But left to ourselves when we're put against the straight edge of God's perfection, guess what? There's nothing good in us. There's nothing good in us. And left to ourselves, we do not have the ability to carry out an obedient lifestyle before God. Paul says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And then people will see this and say, look, apostle can't be speaking as the apostle Paul because the dominion of sin has been broken in his life and now he does have the ability to carry it out. People will say that. Now, wait a second. I think what Paul's talking about is the ability to carry it out perfectly. In this life, we do not have the ability to walk before God perfectly. If we do something, we would be able to find somebody who's walking perfectly if that were the case. Have you met anybody? I've met some people, it's rare, but I've met some people that think they're walking perfectly. They've told me as such. I've shared with you a, a pastor that uh, came to the counter of our store and told me that he hadn't sinned in 13, I think it was 13 years, something like that. 13 years, and I'm thinking, you're sinning right now. You just broke your 13 years spread. I mean, you just botched that all up. If you kept your mouth shut, you, maybe you did. I mean, but we can't go 13 minutes. 
We don't even know all the ways we're sinning against God. He hasn't revealed it all to us. We just have to have this super low view of the law and a very high view of our performance of the same to come to any kind of conclusion like that. Paul says, I have the desire to do what's right. In other words, I'd love to walk perfectly before God. I would love nothing more than to walk perfectly before God, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. I just don't have the ability to do it. Who here can't relate with this? Do you have the desire to walk perfectly before God? Do you have that desire? Do you wish you could do that? Do you do that? Do you walk perfectly before Him? Not even close, do we? When I talk this way, listen, please, I'm not making light of it. It's not something that I'm saying, hey, it's okay, man. No, I'm not saying that at all. It's not okay. That's why Paul's giving us this. It's not okay. But as we mature, I mean, listen, as you mature in your faith, you're going to get a greater view of this thing. And we need Romans 7 so that when we get this greater and greater and greater view of our sinfulness before God, we're going to have something to look at so that we don't think something strange is happening to us. Otherwise, we could faint, as Calvin always used to say, that we would faint. We would faint. We'd be thinking, man, I must not be a Christian at all. I mean, I must not even be a believer at all. Maybe this whole thing, maybe all this time I've been deluded. Because, man, I just, I think, I, I used to think I wasn't doing too bad here, but, man, what's going on with me? What's wrong with me? I mean, what has happened here? What, 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 is, what is going on? Verse 19, I, I, you know, I do not do the good I want to do. This morning I said I'm not going to do it. Last night, I did it yesterday, and last night I was confessed it before God with all my heart. And you know what? It's only 10 o'clock in the morning and I've done it again. It's not what I wanted to do. It's not what I wanted to do. The evil I didn't want to do is what I keep on doing. I wish my Aunt Peg was sitting here right now. Not because I would pick on her, but because I know what her facial expression would look like. And I know she'd be going like this. How do I know that? Because we have talked about it. We have confessed it to one another. Boy, the closer you get with God, the worse. My heart is that bad. Actually, no, it's, it's, me and her have shared this. It's actually worse. It's, it's actually worse than that. It's, I wish it was only this bad, but it's not. It's worse. Don't faint under that. Look to Christ. You see, we only see it in part. Kind of like an iceberg. You only see the very tip of it, you know. He sees it all the way to the bottom. He still stays with you. You didn't surprise him with any of it. You never surprised him with your sin. We say of our children, I can't believe they did this. God never says that of his children. He never says, I can't believe they did this. Isn't that amazing? Again, I don't say this to make light of it. I mean, a lot, the lawless person, they know me and say, hey, <laughs> that's great news, man. I can relax on this law-keeping stuff. 
Now, if that's your attitude, you don't understand any of it. You don't understand the gospel at all if that's your attitude. If that's what's going on in your heart, you're missing the whole thing. Verse 21, and you'll see why I've chosen it as a scripture memory verse. Paul says, I find it to be a law or a principle, if you will, that when I want to do right, what happens? Evil is right there. Evil is right there. What's the point? What's the ball I want to keep bouncing? What's the point? The point is we're no longer under the lordship of sin. We're no longer in the kingship of sin. But guess what? Sin is always right there at hand, close at hand, isn't it? The temptation to fall to it. It's always right there, isn't it? And guess what? You're going to skin your knees. And you're going to skin your elbows. And sometimes you're going to have such a big fall, you're going to get busted up. You want empowerment? Here's where the empowerment comes. Jesus is going to take you into his arms. As parents, we do that with our children. Does anybody leave your child all busted up on the street? What do you go and do? You run to your child and you give your child all the care that the child requires. And we're sinners. God is perfect. What do you think he does when he sees us all busted up on the street? He immediately cares for us. Because he saw that accident coming a long time ago. There's a guy, that, a real tragic story of a youngster. I think he was 21 years old. He was killed on a motorcycle. And a guy that Maggie and I work with, he, uh, uh, he lives near this home where this, this youngster lived. And he has seen, he saw this young man on that motorcycle flying up and down the road. And I, I can't tell you how many times Denny would, would tell me, that kid's going to get in an accident. God saw our accidents. He saw the, the mess that we make long ago. Actually out of eternity. He was the first responder. He's the first responder. We think when we're all busted up, oh, he left us now. No, he is. He's the first one there. Why was he the first one there? Because he never leaves. He's always there. He's the first one there because he was, he was there through the whole thing. Isn't that amazing? I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil's right at hand. Verse 22, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Further evidence that Paul's speaking as a believer Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I think by now we all understand that one, don't we? Do we all get that? If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you got that one, don't you? It's a battle, isn't it? It's a real struggle, isn't it? It's a real struggle. Right now, this is the easiest hour of the week to try to obey God, isn't it? Oh man, I'm gonna do great this week, man. I'm gonna leave them doors, man. I'm good to go. I'm gonna do great, you know. And you're not even at the foot of the steps. We're not even at the foot of the steps, and we're fighting, aren't we? And that's the way it's gonna be until we're glorified. We'll get to that Romans eight. That's Romans eight, and it's no secret that Romans eight's many folks' favorite chapter in all the Bible. 
Uh, we'll discover why together. Paul comes right out and says, verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Hopefully this makes more sense to everybody now, I hope. Does it? I hope so. Um, I hope so. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, save the name of Jesus Christ, right? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace that when we make shipwreck of things, Father, you really are the first one there. Um, you saw it coming. And uh, Father, we confess to you that many times we behave as those who are of the flesh, like the Corinthian church. We behave, of the, we behave like we did when we were sold under sin, wretched people that we are, who will save us from this body of death. Thanks be to God. For Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who has washed us and cleansed us. And we thank you for that amazing love that you have for us, O Lord. A love that never forsakes, a love that is always there. We thank you, Father, that when we have made a disaster of things, you're right there with us. You're right there with us in the wreckage. And we thank you, Father, for that love. And that love truly motivates us to want to follow you and want to serve you with all of our hearts. So, Father, we pray, Lord, press that upon our hearts. Press your love upon our hearts and your faithfulness that we would want to serve you with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.